Jeff Howe's Longhorn Notebook. So some good stuff over at Horns 24-7. We'll talk some Texas basketball later in the show. But, Cam, I want to talk Texas football because there's a really good piece right now uh, up on the site. And uh, Chip Brown with the insider piece this morning. And, and I like the fact that uh, Chip in, these, in the insider sometimes, and whenever we do a long-form piece, those are really good because you can get really, really in-depth. And there's a really good piece uh, on Malik Murphy. Kind of covers the fact that, yeah, his trainer did have colleges reaching out to him first before he actually signed with Texas when Quinn Ewers committed, and then right around the end of spring practice and basically throughout, pretty much all throughout Malik's time at Texas. But we were able to see him in the spring game, and a healthy Malik Murphy looks like he's he's going to be a factor in this thing at some point. May, probably not in, in, 2024, in 2023 unless, knock on wood, something happens to Quinn Ewers. But, you know, maybe one of those scenarios, Cam, and I think, uh, is this your kind of your best-case scenario? is that Quinn Ewers balls out this fall, goes pro, and then next spring, spring of 24, it's Quinn Ewers, I'm sorry, Malik Murphy versus Arch Manning, and the winner of that is your starting quarterback in 2024. At that point, the loser of that battle probably wouldn't be long for the program. Yeah, and I think the part of that is because it guarantees that, one, that the Texas offense improved this season. The O-line was good. Uh, The receivers were good. You didn't have a lot of drops and just kind of eh, game plans that really were so frustrating this past season. Yeah, If Quinn Ewers has that good year and can go to the draft in the first round, then I think that means also Texas is 9-10 win, win team. I, you know, I keep bringing it up, and I'll be on with Chad and Zay today at 105, but when I was on the phone, and I'll be in studio doing it this time, but when I was on the phone with those guys last week, one of the mock drafts had come out already for 2024 and had Quinn Ewers in the first round. And Chad asked me, he said, hey, if Quinn Ewers is in the first round, what does that mean? I said, probably means Texas won the Big 12, or at least at least got to Arlington, because you're going to need Quinn Ewers to be much more consistent while maintaining the upping the level of production game-to-game game that he had last year. Because you don't have the luxury of being able to just, in times of crisis, turn around and hand the ball to Roshan or Bijan. We talked about it on Longhorn Blitz this week. The 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 offense, whatever the ceiling for the offense is, is going to be determined really by two things. The growth of Quinn Ewers as a quarterback and really the growth of Steve Sarkeesian, not so much as a play caller, but his ability. We talked about this yesterday, his ability to make in-game adjustments and, and how he grows in that area and winning the chess match and can throughout the course of a game and when a game gets tight in the fourth quarter – are you are you giving your team a schematic advantage? That's to me where Sark has to grow, and in, and by proxy, it's going to be Quinn's growth too. But if that happens, then that'll mean, like you said, Kim, that means the offensive line will have really come together. And regardless who's the starting quarterback, you're going to have Kelvin Banks as your left tackle in 2024. You probably lose JT Sanders after this year. Probably lose like just fit, plan on losing JT Sanders and losing Xavier Worthy after this year. You know Jordan Whittington's out of eligibility. So what does your receiver room look like? It could it could look drastically different or it could just be hey, Jonte Cook and DeAndre Moore and Ryan Niblett, those guys get elevated and maybe you go into the portal to get one and boom, you take you're off and running again with some really talented guys. So I know that's projecting a lot, but I I think that is the best case scenario for Texas. But when you look at Malik Murphy specifically, and I don't think this is a I don't know, where are you at, Cam, on this? Because I don't think it's a holier-than-thou deal to be like, oh, man, he's staying and competing. And in this day and age of the transfer portal, you know, that really means something. 
so I don't I don't want to make it sound like that's a holier than thou deal. Like you know where that's the whole you shouldn't get you shouldn't you don't deserve credit for things you're supposed to do kind of deal. That's where I see that. But let's be honest, there is something redeeming about a guy that's willing to look at the depth chart and say, no, I I believe in myself. I can compete. And you know what? Even if I've got to wait uh, another fall and before and it's next spring before I can compete, I'm I can be the starting quarterback at Texas. I think I feel the same way about this that Rodney Terry does about the guys he's been recruiting. We want guys who want to step in and earn it, right? And for Malik Murphy, I mean, for those who are saying he's going to hit the transfer portal, and Sark even talked about it at his uh, Houston, what would you call it? Yeah, his his press conference before the uh, Touchdown Club of Houston luncheon last week. Actually, you know what, Cam? Let's go ahead and play. We haven't played this, Coach. Still, by the way, again, big thank you to Cameron for his sacrifice and cutting all this audio that we're actually being able to – to string out a little bit and use, but yeah, this was Sark talking about Malik Murphy. I'm not surprised. You know, I think that, um, you know, I think, you know, again, and I'm going to talk more about this in here, but in my opinion, we have a great culture and it takes time to build a culture. Culture is organic. It's not something you put up on the wall in your locker room. It doesn't, it's not something on a t-shirt to me. It is organic. It's built over time. It's built through relationships. It built, it's built through love. It's built through building people up. And the people we recruit buy into cultures like that. Malik, if you really looked at his track record when he was at Sarah High School, was not the frontline starter as a sophomore, was not always the frontline starter as a junior. They had another player there that was a quarterback too. Malik could have transferred then. He bought into being a great teammate. He bought into working with that guy. And inevitably what happened for Malik, he ends up winning a state championship his senior year. He ends up signing with the University of Texas. He's fulfilling his dreams of, of being a Division I college football quarterback and ultimately trying to pursue the NFL. So I think he has a vision and a dream for what it's going to look like for him at Texas, too. Um, but if I go recruit quarterbacks who will go to three and four or five high schools throughout their time, well, then I should worry about those guys leaving when I get them too, right? Because that's history is the best indicator of the future. And so when you look at things historically in recruiting and you really do your homework, you have an idea of what they're going to look like when you when players are on your roster. So, no, I'm not surprised by Malik. I think he's a great young man. I think he's an awesome teammate. I think he, there's a level of appreciation in the quarterback room and on our team for the work that he's done and for what he's had to overcome from an injury standpoint. And I think people are in our organization are generally happy for him that he's able to finally go out and play and show what he's capable of doing and i'll I'll say this too cam i think sark deserves credit for this because i've seen way too many texas coaches be it mac brown at the end uh even tom herman to an extent and and certainly charlie strong slash son watson whoever was making the decisions on quarterbacks you know it's really tough to stick to your guns and say this is the kind of quarterback that i want to run my offense I want a guy that profiles like this, that has these intangibles, but the on-field skill set looks a lot like this, and the body type looks like this, and and, and I want him to function like this. And Sark, if you look at the quarterbacks he's taken, man, with you know Quinn, Malik, uh, you know Arch, Trey Owens in in twenty twenty four, 
all those guys profile the same. I mean, Sark's not recruiting dual-threat guys because the quarterback run game is never going to be a big part of his offense. It's just not. That doesn't mean he's going to recruit unathletic quarterbacks. To me, like, and for those who have heard me say this, this will sound like a broken record, people define quote-unquote dual-threat quarterbacks in a different way. My interpretation of what does it mean to be a dual-threat quarterback, can you design a legitimate run game around that quarterback? So by definition, Sam Ellinger would be a dual-threat quarterback. Shane Bouchelle would not have been a dual-threat quarterback. Tyrone Swoops, dual-threat quarterback. Uh, Malik Murphy, not a dual-threat quarterback. You can say that about Quinn Ewers. That doesn't mean they're unathletic. You're just not going to design run games around those guys. So, I like, we just go through the lineage, right? Like, Mac towards the end, everything was just so discombobulated. Uh, and I've said this about those last three or four years with Mac at the helm. I think at some point, especially post-2010, it felt like Mac just got so consumed with with trying to get it back on track and trying to win games that a lot of stuff that shouldn't have gotten overlooked did. And the quarterback evaluations, just nothing really lined up, right? Like You start with that 2010 recruiting class, like Connor Wood and Case McCoy, those skill sets did not line up at all. They weren't anywhere close to similar to each other. And then you take David Ash. And then you take Connor Brewer, and you look at those two guys, and they're nothing alike. And Jalen Overstreet was nothing like them. And Tyrone Swoops was nothing like those two guys. So it just got all out of whack. And Gerard Hurd's in there somewhere, even though he never played for Mac Brown. But it's just it was like you're you're just trying to recruit the best. It was kind of symbolic of that offensive identity crisis Texas went through. It's like you're you're stockpiling talent, but you're not really building a team because. It seems like you're just based on whoever wins your job. You're just going to be prepared to keep changing offenses until you get it right. We know Mac ran out of time. And then Charlie's quarterback recruiting was, and it left a lot to be desired. We talk about Matthew Merrick and Kyle Loxley, and they, they got it right with Shane Bouchelle. I'll give him that. And going all in on Sam, finally, they, they got that one right, so I'll give them that. But he never got to see it through. And then it felt like Tom Herman was on the right track, and then at some point they just decided, no, we – we want to focus on somebody that can just really rip it. Well, that that's great, but that's that's not what your offense is built around. You, you know, when Tom Herman's offense is at its best, you you've got the quarterback run game, and whether it's you know a, a, a home run hitter like Braxton Miller, or you've got as Tom Herman would describe them, singles and doubles hitters like Sam Ellinger and JT Barrett, you've got to have the quarterback run game be a part of that. Like honestly, looking back on it, Cam Quinn Ewers would have been a terrible fit in a Tom Herman offense. Like, could, could Quinn have produced at a high level? Yeah, absolutely, because he's one of those guys that with his arm talent, he's going to produce whatever offense he's in. But if you're going to line Quinn up and run quarterback power and quarterback counter, do that. that's that's I, I, that's just a, a, a misappropriation of funds, if you will. Like, that's not how you're going to get the most out of Quinn Ewers. So it was, a, it was not an ideal fit. It could have worked, but it was not an ideal fit. Quinn fits much better with Sark's offense and Malik Murphy fits. So you're starting an arch fit. You're seeing the fit. That's that's half the battle, Cam. And that's why I feel like the Texas offense, as long as Sark can win the requisite number of games and keep this thing trending in such a direction that will allow him to stay off the hot seat. And I'm not talking about hot seat from Gen Pop, right? Because there's always going to be people – you know, in in the outside world, that are just not happy with the head coach of Texas. There's people that don't like Sark now, and I'm not bashing those people. I'm just saying, hey, everybody's gonna have their opinion. But for the people that matter, if he can stay off the hot seat for the people that met to the people that matter by winning a requisite number of games and keeping this thing trending in the right direction, that's why I feel good about the Texas offense because Sark knows what he wants on offense. 
He knows the kind of quarterbacks he wants. He's capable of landing said quarterbacks. And as long as he's got the right guy pulling the trigger, this offense has a chance to be one of the best in whatever conference Texas is in, whether it's the Big 12 or the SEC. And if you're one of the best offenses in those leagues, then you're in the mix to be one of the best offenses in the country. It seems like the blueprint for a successful program is you recruit good players. I know it's shocking. You develop them. Then you win games. And it felt like you you just went through all the quarterbacks from the end of Mac Brown to Charlie Strong to Herman. Never, I mean, Herman had a couple really good recruiting classes there, but besides that, I mean, all those guys never developed well. And maybe it goes to your point about not recruiting the type of guys that you want for your own offense instead of recruiting, well, we're going to get this dual threat guy, we're gonna get this more of a, a pocket passer and try and develop. It doesn't work well because your staff isn't designed maybe to develop all types of guys. Like, I don't know if Sark's, like, obviously Sark's got a, a really good staff, and I think A.J. Milwee is a really good quarterback developer, but. As you mentioned, if they went out and recruited a, a dual-threat running quarterback, I don't know if they're going to develop in the same way yeah. they would develop a guy like Quinn or Malik or Arch. Because we've already seen what Malik's been able to do. Maybe he was just held back from all the injuries going back to his state championship game in high school. But, I mean, it looks like he took a significant leap from year one to year two. Yeah, and, like, I don't – you know, you look, even go, like, go back to – to SC, right? And Washington was a little bit different for Sark because he inherited the quarterback, specifically Jake Locker. Like that skill set, I don't know. And the same thing when I know he was only at Alabama in 16 for that one call place for that one game. He was only there that one year. Like Jalen Hurts isn't the kind of quarterback. And Jalen Hurts is a great quarterback. In, in if, if you kind of and we've seen the Eagles kind of cater their system to Jalen Hurts, he's a great quarterback if he's in the right system. I don't think Sark's offense, how Sark envisions offensive football, be playing. Not that he couldn't succeed with Jalen Hurts, but to what we're talking about, Cam, that wouldn't have been an ideal fit. Bryce Young, much better fit. That's why Sark went and recruited him at Bama. Much better fit for for Sark's offense. Go look at the quarterback Sark had at SC. All, all those guys, whether Sark recruited them or coached them, Carson Palmer, Matt Leinart. Matt Castle, Mark Sanchez, John David Booty, like Cody Kessler, all those guys, there's some there's they're they're all cut from the same cloth, yeah. if that makes any sense. And I just it it's really refreshing. Like I think if Texas fans, I know sometimes and, and I do this as a writer too, covering this thing, sometimes it's hard to see the forest through the trees, but sometimes you gotta step back and take a thirty thousand foot view of it and just think like, man, it wasn't that long ago where Ken, what would you say was – I was thinking about this. What would you say was rock bottom? And I was thinking about it. It wasn't that long ago that we were talking about the quarterback position in this program being at rock bottom. For you, what was rock bottom? Whether you're following it as a fan or your time in student media or now, like what what would you say would be rock bottom? Because I've got a feeling you're either you're right around the same time I am or or it's it's maybe a year off from what I, just absolute rock bottom for the quarterback position was. For the quarterback position, ooh, um – See, I, I, for overall as a program for Texas, I think the Kansas lost, but I don't know. That was rock bottom, bottom for the quarterback position. See, I think it was right after the Notre Dame game in 2015, because you didn't take yeah. a quarterback, you didn't take a transfer yeah. quarterback. Like, like year one, you had you went and, in not knowing who and, your quarterback was for that. Yeah, season. and you probably should have taken a quarterback out of the. You didn't have the transfer portal at that time, but you probably should have taken a quarter transfer quarterback going into 14. But like. David Ash getting hurt and basically taking the last snap of his career in game one of the Charlie Strong era. We talk about foreshadowing. That that was 
Amis at the time, losing Dominic Spinoza in the same game. But then you had to go to Tyrone Swoops because you had no other choice. And they weren't going to burn Gerard Hurd's red shirt at that point because they, at that time, had high hopes for Gerard Hurd as a quarterback. But I think it was the following year when you realized, dude, okay, Swoops isn't the answer. After the Notre Dame game where you lose in South Bend 38-3, you're like, Swoops isn't the answer. And whether Gerard Hurd's ready or not, whether what you're going to do on offense fits him or not, you kind of have no choice but to go to the other guy. To me, that was rock bottom, and it's not necessarily an indictment on those two guys because they're both good dudes. Did you ever get to talk to either one of those guys, Cam? No. Gerard Hurd or Tyrone Swoops? Good dudes. Well, actually, I did. I I have met Tyrone before, and he, he's yeah, yeah, he's an incredible human being. Good dudes. Um, so it's not an indictment on those guys per se. It's just you know the situation was what it was, and then on top of the coaching issues with you know Sean Watson running the offense the way he did, that was rock bottom. That was in 2015. I mean, we're only you know as far as you get to the start of the 2022 season, you know, you're only seven years removed from that. And I think where this program is coming, you, you do look. You give you give that Charlie Strong staff credit for landing Shane Bouchel. You give them credit for finally going all in on Sam Ellinger, even though I don't know Sam might dispute this if he's listening, or Sam's family members might dispute this if they're listening. I always said you know because there, I mean Jimbo Fisher was still recruiting Sam at the end, like Florida State was, and there was a couple other schools recruiting him, and I'm like, dude. Moncrief could be burning down. It could be burnt to the ground and be ashes. Sam would be there with a shovel to scoop it up. Like, he's going to Texas. Like, I I wasn't worried about that. So, I don't know if it mattered if Charlie was the coach or not or Sean Watson or Sterling Gilbert or whatever. Um, but give those guys credit for that. Uh, you know, give Tom Herman credit for, for Hudson Card and whoever you want to give him credit for. But by the time Sark got the job, the quarterback position was in a, an infinitely better spot than it was. Definitely went where Charlie had it, and, and even when Tom Herman took the job, you were in a really good spot. Just having Casey Thompson as a, as a backup for Sam that that last year was huge because throughout the entire 2010s, I mean, we we had so many backup quarterbacks have to play because Garrett Gilbert, after his first season at Texas, he wasn't on the lineup. David Ash could never stay healthy. You mentioned Gerard Hurd. You mentioned Tyrone Swoops. Mm-hmm. There was never a solid backup quarterback that you trusted until Shane Buchel, Sam Ellinger, and mm-hmm. a lot of that was, you know, Buchel couldn't stay healthy, and then Ellinger kind of finally took the reins over, and then even going back to Sark's first year with Thompson and Hudson Card, like you've never felt good about the quarterback room, and then now here we are in 2023 going in where it's like, man, we got three five-star quarterbacks that could be starting at a lot of other D1 schools this season. When, when Charlie Strong was the coach, and even kind of late in Mac Brown's tenure, I'll borrow I'll borrow this this jargon from Rod Babers because Rod coined it and I agree one hundred percent. At that point in time, let's say pretty much from twenty, let's call it twenty thirteen through twenty fifteen, you were in quarterback hell at Texas. You were because then that's the time where the guys that you didn't recruit were winning Heisman trophies and that's revisionist history. I don't want to go down that rabbit hole right now. Anyway. But then you get to Shane Bouchelle, and now you get, you know, you get one, Charlie gets one year with Shane Bouchelle, then you get the Bouchelle Ellinger dynamic with Tom Herman. Now you're in quarterback purgatory. You're not in hell, but you're, you're in kind of quarterback limbo. You're in, you're in between. You're, you're moving up, but you're not where you want to be. By the time Tom Herman got fired, Texas was, you were pretty close to dealing with first world problems at the quarterback position. Yeah. You know, you had, I mean, think about that room you had in 2020. You had Sam, you had Casey as the backup, and then you had Hudson Card 
really Andrew Quinn and Jackson as your three and four, kind of your developmental guys. And Cameron Rising, too, right? Uh, yeah, Cam Rising in 18, yeah. So that, that was the year before. Yeah, that was. That was Even having and tw- Rising. I'm talking about 20, so yeah, you got to go back to yeah. 18 where you had uh, Sam, Sam was your starter, Shane was your backup, and then you had your developmental guys at that point were Casey and Cam Rising. Yeah. So, I mean, you. It, what I, I, I tie all this back to your quarterback room right now with Quinn Ewers, Malik Murphy, Arch Manning, and I'll even throw Charles Wright in there if you want to. Trey Owens on the way. Ben Ballard? You're, yeah, Ben Ballard's actually at FAU now. Oh, that's right. He transferred yeah. Yeah, for Tom Herman. Excuse me. Um, now you're starting to deal with first-world problems at the quarterback position again. You're 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 ha- you're dealing with the issue you ran into like in in 2002 where it's like man, I guess Vince Young's got a red shirt because with uh, one more year of Chris Sims and Chance Mock as the backup and Matt Nordgren as your number three, don't really need Vince Young. You can just let him red shirt and let him develop. And to your point, Cam, about not trusting the backup quarterback, I when you talk about just the overall roster makeup, I think that's where Sark has gotten this thing because we talked a lot about the roster and how good it is, and I've talked to. Some of my colleagues on the national desk at 24-7 Sports, some of the people at CBS Sports, and whenever I get a phone call or a Slack message or a text, like, hey, um, you know, what's the biggest takeaway from Texas? And I, my first my question right back is, well, what do you think it is? And they're like, I, it finally – and I, it, I'll, I'll give away Kevin – my good friend Kevin Flaherty, was on, I was on the phone with him yesterday. He's like, instead of watching the spring game, like Texas looks like Texas is supposed to look. I'm like, yeah, that's – that's the, we talked yeah. about it, right? That was the biggest takeaway I had from the spring game. Like when you look at that that roster on the hoof, it's like, yeah, that's that's how a Texas team is supposed to look, and that's a that's a, that is a tribute to Sark and how they've recruited. But now you're starting to see player development, and guess what? With some other than Kelvin Banks, who was just good enough to go play, you're not having to play freshmen anymore just because. The four-game redshirt rule has been a godsend from that standpoint, that you can get them their four games and still preserve a year. But you haven't been forced to just play freshmen, just like, oh, we have nobody else. The freshmen that are playing, the freshmen that played last year, a lot of those guys played because, well, they were the best you had. Like, whether it was DJ Campbell or Cole Hudson, one of those two guys was the best interior lineman you had. They had to play. Kelvin Banks was the second-best tackle you had. Yeah, but that's a good thing because if they're that good right off the bat, if they're playing – out of luxury and not necessity, now you get those guys on the right development track, and now by the time those guys are juniors and seniors, you should have some really good football players.